in uh, Romans 14, 23, he that doeth any work without faith, it is sin. And Mark, uh, Proverbs 4, 24, 9, even the thought of foolishness is sin. In Proverbs 14, 21, he that despises his neighbor is sin. And then in Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, there lacketh not sin. And wise is the man who refraineth his lips. We could learn from that. And God's standard is a law. He gave us ten commandments. The first four commandments is our relationship to God, and the remaining six commandments are our relationship to one another. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Revelation 3.20, we find that by the law is the knowledge of sin. And that was the ministry of Paul Washer that he used in his evangelism. He would use that to make a, a man or woman see his need of the Savior. We're not going to see our need of, of, of Christ as Savior and Lord until we see that we're criminals in the court of heaven. And then the expressions of sin throughout the Bible, uh, we need to do more than just say the, the, the sin. You see, the sin nature is the expression, the exercise of the will to be independent from God. Let me repeat that. Sin is the exercise of the will to be independent from God. Two, Cain is a perfect example of that rebellion. God said one thing. He said, you come to me my way. And uh, Cain says, I'll come to me my way. God's way or my way. And then... Uh, uh, the sin nature is to deny God's right to rule. The Lord gave a, a, a parable about the man that went to a far country. The prince went to a far country to get a kingdom. And the, uh, the citizens back there said, we will not have, a, have this man rule over us. What he was saying is, that's the way they felt toward the Lord Jesus. We'll not have this man rule over us. And I ask you this morning, does he really rule in your heart today? I want you to think about that. Is he really the, does he really govern your life? If he doesn't govern your life, then he's not your Lord. That's the reason I want to speak on this message today. And then something else that's so bad, it's turning a deaf ear when God speaks. That's what they did in the Old Testament. And uh, Exodus, uh, in the Second Chronicles 30.10, Hezekiah sent out a word uh, that uh, to, uh, well, they, hadn't, they hadn't observed the a Passover for a long time. And so he sent out uh, 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 the post messengers to every city that they were to uh, come to the Passover and celebrate this, which had been ignored for so long. And when the post came to the different cities, how were they mocked? They were laughed to scorn and mocked. Not, we don't do that today. What we do today, we treat it with, uh, we, if we ignore it, we treat it with indifference, or we're too busy to hear it. Some churches have a low view of sin, especially sexual sin. And I told you before that in many uh, 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 churches uh, where there was a gathering, that their big problem at church is sexual sin. That's nothing new under the sun. That was true in the church of Corinth. There was sexual sin, and they, they, they uh, exalted over it instead of mourning over it. And then in the, uh, the church in Thyatira, 
their Jezebel, a self-acclaimed prophetess, she taught the people to commit fornication and offer food that was offered to idols. God is holy and will not pardon any sinner who has a low view of sin, even if a profession of faith is made. For if a person has a low view of sin, he has a low view of faith. Tuesday evening, a man that had been on my first pastorate when I was in Brooklyn, New York, he was a young man of 20-some. And he called me from Georgia this week. His home now is in Georgia. He said two things that I'd like to share with you. He said, we want the good news of the gospel without repentance. And he said, we want salvation while we enjoy the pleasures of this world. I thought that's worthy to be shared. I'd like to give a few thoughts why we should hate sin. Sin separates us from God and from each other, and sin separates marriages. It mars the image of God, our creator, in whose image we are to reflect. It makes man a servant, a slave of sin. For Jesus said in Mark 8.34, He that committeth sin, practices sin, is the slave, a servant of sin. Fourthly, it makes man a prisoner of sin. We're either a prisoner and free in the Lord Jesus Christ, or we are a prisoner of Satan. We belong to one or the other. Sin energizes love for evil, and then if we have a love for evil, we have a hatred for God. It paralyzes the will to do what is right, for we're under the dominion of sin. It reduces man to the level of beasts, for it says in uh, Psalm 49, 20, he that is honored and has no understanding is like the beasts that perish. Sin is deceitful. Oh, is it ever deceitful? It hardens the heart. I'll tell you how it's deceitful. We can talk very spiritual and yet be dead in trespasses and sin or commit sin with no exercise of guilt. Let me repeat that. Sin is deceitful in what we can talk very spiritual but have no spiritual life governing our life. Sin is destructive. That's what it does to the local church. That's what it does to marriages. What it does to relationships. And sin cannot be hidden. For be sure your sin will find you out. As it says in Hebrew 13, our hearts are an open mirror before God. Our hearts are an open mirror before God. I'd like to give you now, secondly, the biblical repentance defined. There are three Greek words used to give a clear and complete definition of biblical repentance. And the first is metaneo, used in Matthew 3, 2, that I quoted earlier. When the apostle, when John the Baptist used the word repent there, he was speaking in the, uh, as a change of mind. Uh, a change of mind about sin. It's a change of mind 
is to see God as God sees it. And why the gospel is preached to dispel the darkness. Psalm 1.9.13, the entrance of thy word gives light and gives understanding to those who are not too proud to receive it. And then Psalm 104 says, thy precepts give me understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Then there is, it's, it's uh, to see God's law as good and holy and just. It gives a knowledge of sin and reveals how far below God's standard we have fallen. Repentance that changes the mind will do three things. Let me repeat that. Repentance that changes the mind will do three things. One, it gives us a different view of God. It gives us a different view of sin. And it gives us a different view about the purpose of life. The second, metamolomai. It's a change of heart brought about by the Holy Spirit, as you relate, I give you an illustration, the parable of the two sons in Matthew 26, 28, 29. The father said to the one son, go and work in my vineyard. And the son said, no, I will not. But then he had a change of heart and he went. The other son, uh, the, uh, the father said to the other son, go and work in my vineyard. He said, yes. He had a head conversion. He had, yes, yes. But his heart wasn't right. He said, no, then he it didn't go. You see, a man, if he, if he has intellect, he may have the knowledge of sin, but he may never see its ruin upon man or grasp the truth of how it dishonors God. It may go no further than to have a dread of punishment, no hatred for sin, or a desire to abandon sin. It's a cerebral Christian. Let me give you an illustration. This week, there was a man that called me. He had gotten one of my tracks, and uh, he called me and said how the track affected him. He said, I'm a, a man of 68. And he said, uh, I need a change of heart. He said, I am that man uh, on Luke 15, 12 to 32. He said, I said, you mean... The parable about the, the prodigal, he says, yes, I am the parable. I am the prodigal. And I asked him then, I said, well, when did you ever come to faith? He said, when I was 18 and 19, he said, I, I accepted Christ, but it was terrible. It didn't change his heart. But now he wants his heart changed. You know what a joy that is, to have a chance to share the truth with and his name was Leroy. And you better believe, not only did I share with him what it means to come to Christ, like I'm doing this morning, but I, you know what he got? A lot of gospel literature. His name was Leroy. And oh, I tell you, I was 37 years old before the Lord changed my heart. And when you have a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of direction, which I'll talk about again, then it's life's worth living. You have a purpose for living. But until then, you're trying to enjoy part of the world and part of uh, God. You can't do that. It's one or the other. There's something else about godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is not like uh, uh, Esau had that. He had sorrow. But it wasn't godly sorrow. He lost his, uh, um, he lost uh, uh, the blessing. And uh, there are others that uh, 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 Felix, the governor, 
that uh, was, uh, had a, a jurisdiction over the Apostle Paul. He trembled as Paul shared the, uh, the gospel with him, but that wasn't repentance. No, uh, I mean, that wasn't a heart repentance. And then there's others. See, God allows, as godly sorrow allows no room for indifference by the conviction of personal sin and sincerity of heart that cries out to God for forgiveness. Like it says in Psalm 51, 1. Psalm 51, 1 says these words. If I can get Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. You see, there's a cry for mercy when there's a heart repentance. The third Greek word is metanoia. Um, Matthew 9, 13 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness and according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. And that is, uh, what the meaning of that is, a change of direction and a, a change of purpose. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 makes it very plain when it says this. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, because of the internal change wrought by the gospel, it's applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit. There is condemnation of self before God's holy law, and, and, and a determination to abundant sin. But because of John 1, 8, there's still sin in us. And sometimes we fail, but we do not sin willfully. There is that desire to return unto God, taking God's side against oneself. And I ask you this question. Have you ever cried out to God in brokenness for his mercy because of self, because of pride, because of stubbornness? I've lived long enough to know that until there's a brokenness, we'll never really understand what Christ did for us on the cross. Because until you understand what Christ did on the cross, you'll have a low view of sin. But when you understand what he did for you on the, on the cross, then there will be that brokenness. There will be that no longer a proud heart, but a humble heart, knowing the grace of God that was visited upon us by his mercy and grace. For true repentance, as recorded in the Holy Scriptures, these three, change of mind, change of heart, change of direction, uh, uh, by, by the will to a new way of life, it, it takes all three of those for true repentance. Let me repeat it again. Change of mind, change of heart, and change of direction, that is true repentance. I'd like to talk a little bit about the evidence of true repentance and saving faith. In our introduction, the importance of repentance was made very plain by John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus. Why? You see, in the heart of every sinner, there's a refusal to be under divine authority. And what does this biblical repentance look like? That's what I want to share with you. It's the way the Lord expressed in Luke 14, 31 to 33. This is what he said. He said there were two kings, and one had an army of 10,000, 
one had an army of 20,000. And the king with the army of 10,000, you heard me say this before, but it fits in here, said, there's no way I can defeat that king with 20,000. So he said, there's only one thing I can do, and that is send an ambassador of peace to make peace. And the only way you make peace is by holding up the white flag of surrender. And that's what repentance is. When we hold up the white flag of surrender and surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is what it means. That's what our Lord was referring to in here. Because he said, he said, so likewise, whosoever be of you, he forsaketh not all that he hath. He cannot be my disciple. Meaning you have to surrender what you have belongs to him. We're stewards of what he gave to us. That's true repentance. The Apostle Peter said, I've left all to follow you. There's another illustration. First Peter 2.21, he says, uh, the Lord, he expressed how he suffered for us. They said, we are to follow his steps. He who was reviled, reviled not again. He who suffered, threatened not, but he trusted himself to him who judgeth righteously. There is... Another thing, when there's a truly repentant soul, the top priority is to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Four times in the scripture it says, we're to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. Do you love the Lord like that? Four times it says we're to love him like that. And the only way you can love him like that is you hold up the white flag of surrender and realize he has a right to govern your life. It's to recognize the ugliness and the rebellious nature of sin. And, and, and it's, it's also to be careful, it's, uh, to be about careless of self-examination, which I preached about the last time I was with you. Look what the, uh, David said. He said, I thought upon my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. That's why self-examination is so important uh, as we go through this life that we're surrounded by sin, but we don't have to be captives of sin. Sin becomes a burden and a hatred for every false way. And that's why it said Psalm, thy, uh, he says in Psalm 119, 104, that thy precepts give me understanding, therefore I hate every false way. There's to be a spiritual alertness against besetting sins. Why? Because sin of a believer dishonors Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. Sin in a believer dishonors Jesus Christ. And think of the awful price paid for our sins. And that's why we are to be conformed. That's why it says in Romans 8, 28 and 29, it says these words, that God is working everything together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. For why? That we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's good to see, it's good to see, check ourselves, are we becoming more like Christ or are we becoming more like the world? We cannot talk about repentance though without talking about saving faith. For they are two sides of the same coin, expressed so well in the Bible verse 
that brought Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, to salvation, Isaiah 45 and 22, when it says, Look unto me, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. You see, there we see a turning from sin to repentance and looking to the Savior in faith believing. If one would just turn from his sins, he would still have sin's penalty upon his soul, which is judgment. But praise God, the gospel that commands repentance also provides an eternal refuge which can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I never weary about sharing these verses. I love these verses when it speaks about all that he suffered for us. I quoted earlier, think about that. Think about our Lord being made sin, made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Think about how, just think, we were under God's curse, under his curse, anathema, and he received that curse in our place. Think about how far we are away from God, but he the just one suffered for us, the unjust, that he might bring us to God. All the ordinances against us were nailed to his cross. Nailed to his cross. Our sins were nailed to his cross, and he bore this, the suffering of them. I say to you, I say, Christ paid our sin debt in full by his atoning sacrifice. He conquered death, proving that he paid that debt in full. And now we who come to Jesus Christ are not to be caught up in the sins that honor the, the enemy, but in righteousness that honors Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus began to preach in Mark 1.15. He offered, in Mark 1.15, he's offering himself at the sinners through the gospel, regardless, big sinners, small sinners, all deserving of hell. But if we come with a white flag of surrender and are empty of self, that is repentance. And in faith, you know, I give you acrostic faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. That's faith. His atoning sacrifice, his substitutionary death, his righteousness, saving faith unites the soul to Christ, which makes us acceptable to God and prepares for us for that divine appointment which we all must keep. How often do you think of standing before God with the king? How often do you think about that? I think about it a lot. Not out of fear, but out of a desire to live a life that honors him now. To be an example for him now. To reflect him now. Gospel repentance and saving faith sees the beauty and the blessing of living a life of holiness. Expressed in Ephesians 4.24 where we read these words. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There's a warning given in Matthew 15, 8, 9, says, 
It's so easy to flatter God. It's so easy to say those words that sound nice when our heart is far from him. But you, when we flatter God with our lips while our heart is far from him, it's so easy to deceive ourselves, religious yet loving the world that hates God. And if you're resisting the Lord's right to govern your life, you have no true repentance. I repeat that. If you, if you resist the Lord's right to govern your life, you have no true repentance or saving faith. And I say this not out of judgment, but one, one day I thought I was a good Christian, but I was a sinner just like the rest. Oh, I was religious, but I didn't have Christ in me, the hope of glory. Now I like to talk about the appointment to appear before the judge. The judge, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, in his humiliation, he was judged by man. He was, but he was judged on Mount Calvary for our sins. Think of that. He was judged by man when he walked upon the earth, and then he was judged for our sins when he, on top of Mount Calvary. And when he puts on his judicial robes, Matthew 25, 31, and is seated on the throne of his glory, how awful for a sinner to still be any sins. And our text says that Father gave evidence to all men that he will be the judge by his resurrection from the dead. For when we face him, we'll be facing deity and his humanity. He never ceased to be the son of man. He will reside as judge with all power and authority and all will bow before him either in grace or in judgment, one or the other, either in grace or in judgment. He will be the judge at the high tribunal, and there will be their perfection, which uh, this is so wonderful. The way he was humiliated, but at, when he is at that judge, when he assumes the robe of a judicial judge, that's when there will be the perfection and culmination of his exaltation. That'll be the limit when the ex, when he, he was humbled even at the right hand of the God the Father. Here he will be seen as judge of all the earth, and that'll be the culmination of his exaltation. Praise his wonderful name. Oh, pray. Yes, hallelujah. The older I get, the more I love him. The more I love him, the more I want to serve him, and the more joy I have in serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will judge according to his word. And I hear people say this and that and that. And I said, remember one thing. The word of God will judge you in the last days. John 12, 47, 48. There were those that were rejected. Look what he said. He says, yeah, you can reject me. You can reject my words. But mark this. On judgment day, my words will judge you. And judgment will be in righteousness, Psalm 96, 13. He will judge the world of righteousness and his people according to the truth of the gospel. You see, the secrets of men will be judged by him. And just think of the secrets you're hiding. They'll all be judged, Romans 2, 16. It'll all be made plain. We think of the sins that we commit one by one and undercover, but God sees them all. As I said, our lives are an open book before him. That's the reason I love uh, uh, 
Hebrews 4.13 so much. And when we stand before him, there'll be no escape, no plea of ignorance or plea bargaining for a lesser sentence, no, uh, uh, no lawyer to plead their case, no days man like Job sought for. It'll be unveiling of one's whole life when we stand before him. Availing of one's whole life. Nothing will be hid. What deep regret will come upon them who gave only an empty profession of faith? Those who would not give him the preeminence of life, yes, they'll know his judgment. Colossians 1.18, that we're to give him the preeminence. If we're not giving him the preeminence, what do we have looked forward to? The terror of those who depend upon their works, how awful it be. Because all our works are tainted by sin. That's why we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ for him to accept our sins. Because they are acceptable to him because with him we're righteous. Oh, the older I get, the more I see what he did for us in making us righteous just as he is. And how can we be so slovenly and careless about worship? the wheat, the sheep of the divine sheepfold, those who were not too proud to wear his yoke. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I found it so. I found it so. And then those who found joy in the Lord to glorify him, listen to these words. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20. What don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which you have of God and you're not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How wonderful to hear, or how awful to hear on Judgment Day, depart from me, I never knew you. Just think of that. Depart from me, I never knew you. For if we're hanging on to some sin, that we so that means the Lord is not Lord of your life. Because you like your sin more than you do your reverence and love for the Savior. But oh, how wonderful to hear, come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Think how wonderful that will be. Just a few words in application. True repentance to make full restitution. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that forsaketh them, and he confesseth and forsaketh them, shall have mercy. And when I thought about this, I thought about when as a young man, as a young man, I, uh, uh, we had a gas station near, near the home, and I remember... We'd go down to the gas station. One of our friends was uh, helping the, uh, the owner. They had a little uh, uh, restaurant there, too. 
And from time after time, if we uh, got a, he would only charge us half price. He, we'd always pay some, we'd always charge half price. And you know, after the Lord saved me, I became so under conviction of what I did. In other words, I was a, a, a part of the, but I couldn't do anything about it because he was no longer there. But that still, it still gnaws away at me that, that I was guilty of taking something at half price. You see, when you, when you come to really understand what sin is, and, when, when you, and you want to make it right, but I couldn't make that right. And if you have sinned against someone, you've got to make it right. That's, that's what it means to really, for full restoration. We live at a time when sin is looked upon as a norm in this wicked and rebellious generation. But because of Luke 13, 1 to 5, the discipline, and, and listen carefully what I'm going to say now. It's not originally. One, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. Two, flee idolatry, that which you put something above the love of Christ. Three, flee youthful lusts. Four, that's Second uh, uh, Timothy 2, 22. And 1 Timothy 6, 10, 11, flee your love for money. Those four. And if we flee them, it'll be easy to follow the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, follow his steps, follow his steps. Because he'll lead us in the way everlasting. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, God says, I will look upon him, him who trembles at my word, who's a humble and a contrite spirit. You see, when God looks down upon us and we have a proud heart, how do you think he looks upon us? But if we look upon him, if he looks down upon us and, we, and he knows we have a reverence for his word and we want to be under his favor, he looks upon it with a great joy and with great blessing. You're looking at an old man who has gone through all these things I'm sharing to you. And that's the reason I can share them with conviction because I know when the Lord is governing your life, what a joy it is in the Christian life. But if, it's just going to, if we're just going to give him lip service, we're going to talk spiritually, but not live spiritually. What a sham. What a sham. Regardless of how much the world glorifies sin, it's an enemy to be hated. And at the root of sin is self. At the root of sin is self. It's what I want, not what the Lord wants. Therefore, die daily to self. And let the Holy Spirit occupy the sanctuary of the throne in your heart. Paul, let him do that. Let him do that. We all have a divine appointment, says in Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. How little many professing Christians take this into consideration as they live out their lives with little regard to this truth. But one's whole life will be unveiled on that day of judgment. I repeat it. One's whole life will be unveiled on that day of judgment and will be under grace, will be under judgment. But you cannot mock at sin. You cannot sin willfully and expect to have grace on the day of judgment. I don't care how much you profess Jesus Christ. 
You cannot continue to sin and then expect grace on the day of judgment. I'm talking about willful sin now. Yes, there's stillness. We sin when we do. We grieve. But we don't willfully sin. The Lord does not tell us to accept him. He tells us to follow him. And we do that. We will fulfill Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Hebrew, uh, 1 Peter 2.11 is a good instruction for living in this evil world. Listen to it. It says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. The world we live in is getting more darkened. It's getting darker and darker and by, uh, uh, by evil because God is judging us by removing his restraining grace. And that's why I think so... When, we, when, this, when this nation casts him out of every area of public life, his restraining grace was taken away, and that's why evil's coming in like a flood, has come in like a flood, and is coming like in a flood, and it's only going to get darker. If there was ever a time for, sin, for those who know the Lord to repent and get right with God, it's now. The discipline we need is what the Apostle Paul instructed Timothy. 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith, forsaking all I trust him. And then follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Let's get rid of that proud spirit that we carry around with us. Let us have the humility that our Lord showed in the days of his humanity. And one more thing. Let us judge our lives in the light of the gospel. 1 John 1, 7. Walk in the light as he is the light, as he's in the light. And we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Praise his wonderful name. And then walking in the light of the gospel is to walk in the way of righteousness which was the desire of King David, which he said, and I'll close with this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Praise his wonderful name to be in the way of the Lord, to bring glory to the Lord, to anticipate being with the Lord Praise his holy name. Lord, may your word not return void. May all who have been hearing the sound of my voice begin to understand the ugliness of sin, the ugliness of self, and the ugliness of pride. But may we all be humbled to learn of our Lord Jesus, who was meek and lowly in heart, and will find rest unto our souls, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Praise his blessed holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.